This is Ralph Alexander, and I'm a guest on Ben's Big Fat Five podcast. What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This week's guest is Ralph Alexander, an incredibly talented drummer currently out with the artist Poppy. Ralph is one of those rarely makes a mistake kind of drummers, but his incredible independence was the first thing that turned me on to his skills, and I'm referring to a specific video, which I will link in the show notes, where he plays bass with his left foot while still playing a full drum set all at the same time. I won't get into the specifics right now because we talk about it during the chat, but he's worked with other legendary artists, including CRX, featuring Nick Valencia of The Strokes, and he's just great. Trust me. Please enjoy this chat about the five records that shaped him into the bombastic yet incredibly precise drummer he is today. Cheers. Well, let's just hop into your top five. The the first record that helped shape who you are as a drummer today is the album How the West Was Won. The release year was 2003. The artist is Led Zeppelin, Song Choice's Immigrant Song, and of course, Bonzo is the drummer. So before we listen to a few minutes of that song, can you kind of explain why this is number one? Is it in any sort of order? Floor is yours. Well, I'll preface this by saying thank you so much for doing five and not three. Five was still very difficult, I'll say that, because when you said five, I thought, okay, well, I don't have to do three, because that's always impossible. But then when I started trying to pick five, I thought, man, I really wish he had done 10, because this is, this is so difficult. But uh, yeah, so with How the West Was Won, that goes back to when I first started playing. And my older brother, Topher, he had gone, I mean, this is, like you said, a million years ago, this is back in 2003. He had gone to a Circuit City and bought the record at, when it had come out. And he said, I got this new live record because it's a triple disc. It's a lot of a lot of stuff on there. So he brings it home. And I had just started playing drums, but I had kind of drifted away from it a little bit. You know how kids, they typically get into stuff. And then it's like, you know, once you get a kit, it's like, oh, well, you know, now I have it. It's not as big of a priority for you. Yep. So I got in. I'd taken a few lessons from a guy here in town. Uh, and then I just hadn't played in a while. And then he brought this live record home. And I remember the first thing was I looked at it and I saw Bonham on the cover. And, you know, it said Ludwig on, his, on the kick. I thought, man, this guy looks intense. All these guys look intense. And then we put it on. And the crazy thing about this record is that it starts off like the opening track is called L.A. Drone, which is just crowd noise before they come on. And that alone was like, oh, man okay, this is going to be, something's crazy is coming because just the vibe of the crowd. Mm-hmm. And then they kick into the first song, which is Immigrant Song. And it's just like, you know, being a 13-year-old kid, not really knowing what you want to do with your life. But then all of a sudden, this song kicks in and this drummer starts playing and you're just like, what the hell is this? And Plant is just like going off with the vocals. Like he's on fire. Paige is on fire. You know, John Paul Jones is going crazy. And Bonham... You know, I, I think every drummer, every rock drummer knows Immigrant Song because of that groove. Because it's such a, it's still to this day, it's a, it's a bitch to play. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just constant. The doubles are, you know, they just keep keep coming, keep coming. 
and Bonham is just absolutely crushing that song. And it was just mind-blowing. It was a life-changing experience, to be honest. You know, when you listen through that entire performance, because it's, from what I remember correctly, it's two performances. It's That one was at the LA Forum in 72, and then the other disc is in uh, Long Beach, mm. if, I, if I'm not mistaken. And every single one of those songs, starting with Immigrant Song, and then you go into these huge jams and like a whole lot of love and Dazed and Confused where they're jamming for like 20 minutes. And Bonham, of course, has a massive drum solo with Moby Dick in there. It just, it covers so many bases, but in terms of drumming for a, for a brand new drummer. But the opening track, Immigrant Song, it's just such a monstrous beat that, you know, like I said, it was just life-changing hearing it for the first time. All right, well, let's just listen to uh, Immigrant Song. And they have a lot of little changes in these, which Zeppelin was known for. Nothing was ever just like the record. You're, you're an official Ludwig artist, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, how's it feel to be uh, <laughs> home to, to John's home? Man, I mean, I, I could go on for hours about that. It, you know, it's, I, was just, um, I was just in New York. We were doing, I was doing the, you know, the Seth Meyers gig they have? Yeah. With the, the drummers. Uh, and I was out to dinner with Eric, the guy that books that, and we were talking about, he asked kind of a similar, that similar question. I said, you know, it's odd because when I was a kid, that was like the, the only goal that I had. I was like, I just want to get big enough or uh, su- successful enough to just, I just want to be a Ludwig artist. That's all I want. And then once, once that happened, you know, and Uli and um, Ben, interestingly enough, when they reached out to me or got back to me when I reached out to them and it was obviously it was going to happen. I was just like, man, you know, I got to come up with some new goals now. Cause this was all that, that was all that I ever wanted. You know, mm-hmm. it was just, and like, and like I had mentioned earlier, when I got that record, um, there's a picture of bottom on the front and you can see Ludwig on his kick. So it was just from, from a very early age, it was always, you know, that's the company and not in, in a way where it's like you get blinded by, you know, if there's other companies out there that are better, but you just always wanted that one. To this day, I, I, I think Ludwig makes the best drums. I think they make the best snare drums and the best drums themselves. And, uh, you know, I just, not to do a whole product placement here, thing, but I, I love their pedals, which is their pedal that I use now. We were just talking about the Speedflyer. There's just, there's so much history. I was telling Uli a while back when I was in New Orleans, I sent him a photo. I was in the New Orleans Jazz Museum and they were talking about a lot of the early hardware that they had in there and they had an old Ludwig bass drum pedal which is one of the very very first that they had in made by company and it was just that coupled with you know Bonham being such a big Ludwig guy and so many other greats that were on their roster over the years it's just there's so much history that uh to just have a tiny little part of it in today's scene is uh again it's like I got to come up with some new life goals because that was that was it that was the only one that I had forever if you don't mind me asking, have you figured out any of those next goals or is that still a work in progress? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's always goals with playing, 
right? There's, there's so many things that I want to improve with my playing. Um, but I think, I don't want to call it superficial goals, but goals that are just, you know, kind of like bucket list things. Uh, SNL, I mean, who doesn't want to play SNL at some point, you know? There's a, we're, we're about to head out, uh, the artists that I play with, Poppy, we're about to head out on a tour with Smashing Pumpkins and Jane's Addiction. And we're checking off a bunch of venues that I've always wanted to play, like Madison Square Garden and uh, the Bowl, Hollywood Bowl. So I think at this point, a lot of the goals are just more, just really cool places that I want to play. All right. Going on to number two, the album is Seasons in the Abyss. The release year is 1990. The artist is Slayer. The song choice is the titular track, Seasons in the Abyss. And the drummer is Dave Lombardo. So before we play it, take it away. Where were you when this song came into your life? All that jazz. All right. So I started with drumming. It was obviously big Zeppelin stuff. And then a lot of classic rock guys uh, like Hendrix with Mitch Mitchell and you know Black Sabbath and all those early, early classic rock bands. Uh, it wasn't until I got into high school and I started playing in a band with my buddy Skylar he was really big into metal, thrash metal. And I hadn't gotten into that yet. And this was actually very, very hard to pick because it was between this and Master of Puppets, the whole record, obviously. But with Dave, Dave is just such, to me, he's such a natural progression in style from Bonham. Like to me, it was always, if Bonham had been born 20 years later and was like a a thrash drummer in the 80s, he'd be Dave Lombardo. Interesting, okay. So it was kind of a natural, uh, you know, because when, you, when you're a young drummer, a lot of guys always get in the heavier stuff. And when you're younger, of course. So Slayer was just like, that was just, that was it when I heard Dave. And I think the first thing I heard from Dave was Raining Blood, which is an iconic track, of course, that crazy double kick pattern he has in there. Or just the, fa- I mean, that was the first time I heard 16ths that fast mm-hmm. for a drummer. But I think in terms of just, in its entirety, Seasons in the Abyss, especially the title song, there's so much... Because when you listen to it, you know, he's still playing a little bit behind the beat. He's doing these, like, crazy bombastic fills, which, you know, Bonham was known for. And uh, you always were on the edge of your seat, like, ah, I don't, is he going to land it? Is he going to come back in on the one? Is he going to... Uh, and he lands it. But, again, it was just speed, power, uh, just raw talent. Because he, he didn't sound refined. You know, he just sounds like just just crazy bombastic thrash metal drummer. So for Seasons in the Abyss, uh, for that whole record, really, I mean, the opening track, War Ensemble, is like your your typical classic Slayer, super fast thrash metal song. But then throughout the whole record, you know, they, they kind of run the gamut. They go through a bunch of different things. But ending it with Seasons in the Abyss, he has all these crazy fills, which there was a time where I had every single fill in that song memorized. Like I used to play to it when I was a kid. And there's just, there's a bunch in there. And he has like one of the big fills he has in that song, which he does a couple of times. He's doing like two in the hands and two in the feet, which is one of the first times I heard that, which is such a huge metal fill these days. Like everyone does that fill, but uh, that was the first time. And he's, he's doing, he's doing it lightning fast too. And it's like, holy crap. Like, I think he's doing it leading into the verses each time. You know, like I said, that, that was the natural progression from being heavy rock drumming into heavy metal drumming for me. All right. Well, here we go. Seasons in the Abyss.
funny. This is probably the most space that Lombardo's ever utilized. <laughs> And here he's playing a little back, like he's, you can tell that Carrie or Jeff, whoever was recording guitar, like they're pushing the beat a little bit, he's a little bit behind it. And this crazy fill coming up right here. That feels a really good example of Lombardo because he has kind of this flow when he's going around the toms and stuff. It's it's a lot easier to visualize it when you see it, but um, his style of, of fill is just very, it's kind of circular. I don't know how to describe it. It's like he's like Mr. Miyagi, like doing the car wash thing, you know? Going like, That's a good way to describe it, yeah. Like when he does a fill, it's like he starts with the snare, he goes around, you know, two toms, then comes back to the snare, and then goes to the next two toms, and then goes down. And It's very... Um, that, you know, there's emotion to it, which I always, I always definitely gravitated towards. So I'll be the first to admit, I don't know much about Dave. Is he, is he still around? Did he play outside of Slayer? Um, what's your familiarity with his, his career outside of the obvious band he was in? Yeah, he was in Slayer until the early nineties and he left or got kicked out depending on which one of those guys you ask mm -hmm. from my understanding. Uh, and then he played, like he played around with Mike Patton for a while. He did a bunch of like super experimental type playing with Mike Patton. I think that was called the, uh, Fantamos or something like that. And then he went back to Slayer in 2003, I think. And then they did, uh, play with them for another 10, 15 years. And then Slayer's over now. He left again. And now he's doing, he plays for the Misfits now. Oh, the wow. Misfits. And sometimes... Yeah, for the, their big, you know, reunion shows. And sometimes he does, um, God, what's that? What's that band name? Something Suicide. Uh, I can't Suicidal remember Tendencies? Yes, yes. He does that sometimes, too. Uh, he plays a lot with a lot of people, but I think his main gig right now is Misfits, if I'm not mistaken. Hey, y'all. I wanted to... <laughs> I can't say. I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co., it's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour 
and I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye before we move on to number three i do want to talk about um your your four-way or four-way foray into the the moog taurus three why'd you decide to just kind of go down that rabbit hole obviously i know you want to do the two-piece but why that yeah uh so that was so the story about why that happened was i was in a three-piece band and we had there was a there was a night we're supposed to play gig and the bassist didn't go on stage he refused to go on because they wouldn't move the bass. We were playing backline gear and they wouldn't move the bass amp to his side of the stage. And then he had a big problem with it. Long story short, he didn't play. So then the guitarist and myself played. And I had always had this idea after watching Rush videos for so long. You know, everyone watches Rush. Every drummer watches Rush. Everyone knows Neil. But interestingly enough, I always gravitated towards Getty and what he was doing and how he was multitasking so much in all of these songs and how they were able to pull off such a massive sound with three guys. You know, every drummer knows Tom Sawyer, right? We all know the, the big drum solo they have in the middle and his groove and everything. And that's iconic, 100%. But I, I have to admit that the thing that I always watched was Getty during the solo. You know, he goes, he starts playing the bass with his foot, with the Moog. And he's playing keys with his hand to do that key line for the solo. One day I was watching that and I was like, he's only playing, he's playing the bass line, but he's playing it with his foot. Why can't a drummer do that with their foot too? Because when you think about it, you know, the hi-hat, depending on what style you're playing, isn't doing a whole much for a lot of stuff. So I thought, why can't you have bass lines going with the left foot and then having your hands and your right foot do everything else? So I'd always wanted to try it. And once this guy quit, uh, you know, the singer was kind of bummed, but I was excited. I was like, great, I'm gone, go. Because I want to try this new idea that we have. And we ordered, we found a Moog 3, Taurus 3, uh, which is very hard to find because those are discontinued. Like the Moog Taurus 1 and 2, I believe, were, aren't made anymore, obviously. And then they came back with this reissue for the Taurus 3, and we ended up finding a Taurus 3. So we ordered it, I put it together, um, and that was a year, two years of not really playing it, developing with the playing because the playing came pretty quickly but learning how to control it which is the hardest part because a lot of these you know a lot of bassists they have the luxury of having two hands so you can stop you can determine the decay you can determine how long a note goes for how long it doesn't go for when you're playing with these Taurus pedals like you have to really anticipate what's coming next into each section so you know that it's the note lengths are very important and having tones. So if you have a, a clean tone for a verse and then a distorted tone for a chorus, it's being able to figure that stuff out and being able to change it when you only have one limb that can change it. So I ended up doing this thing where the Taurus was hooked up through a Roland SPD pad and with these Kemper amps and everything was connected via MIDI so that I could hit a Roland pad and it would change the tones in the Moog so that I could have complete flexibility over it. That took about two or three years to develop. But playing it um, is really awesome. It's, you know, I, every time people ask me about it, it's, it's a massive, 
full mind workout, right? Because you're you're using everything all at once. You're you're playing with melody, but you're also playing with drumming, which is all about you know problem solving and patterns and stuff like that. And then you have you know melodic side of your brain that's going at the same time, and it gets really tricky when you're trying to improvise at the same time with both. That's that's when it gets hairy. But for the most part, I love doing it. It's a lot of fun. I toured with one for a long time with the band that I used to be in that we had that. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't do it as much anymore. Cause I, like I said, my, my gig right now is just all about heavy metal and craziness and it's not really experimental in that way. Yeah. Well, it's makes me, it's, it's like a modification to the bass player joke with the keyboardist. It's a, uh, how many bass players does it take to screw in a light bulb? None. Ralph Alexander can do it with his left foot, but yeah. <laughs> so let's just go into number three, I believe. And the album is crack the sky. The release year is 2009. The artist is Mastodon. The song choice is Oblivion. And the drummer is, am I, am I pronouncing it right? Bran Daler? Uh, Bran Daler. Of course. Yeah. So yeah, take it away. Yeah. So like we were just talking about uh, experimenting and doing something different and trying something different. And I know there have been a ton of drummers in the past that have been singers, but this was the first time for me to really recognize that holy shit this guy is not only an amazing singer but it's the drummer and it's a drummer that I've looked up to and listened to for years because they've had you know I I used to listen to the first record and you know March of the Fire Ants and all these really super fast songs and as a metal drummer I think we kind of fall into this trap of being labeled as just a metal drummer it's like oh well you're just a guy that plays super fast or super hard. Uh, that's kind of your thing. It's really hard to break out of that for a lot of metal guys and to be seen as more of a well-rounded drummer and a musician. So when Crack the Sky came out and I got it and I listened to it, again, being a Mastodon fan for so long and hearing so many of these crazy songs, and then it starts with Oblivion, and it's like, holy shit, they have a new singer. Like, who is, who is this guy? And then you realize it's Braun. It, it was just, it's a very inspiring moment to think that, okay, I, I can be a metal drummer. I can be a guy that's really into a lot of this fast and crazy stuff, but I can also be a well-rounded musician as well. Cause clearly this guy is, he can do it. And he's playing with a lot of the same influences that I grew up with, but he's also pulling this off. And that was a big moment for me was that song and the whole record, to be honest. Mm-hmm. All right. Here's, here's Oblivion. Still doing cool fills over the bar line yeah. stuff. Now they switch over to Troy, who's the bass player. They all sing? Yeah, so coming up is Brent. They all do harmonies together. And then the big chorus is Brent. 
the guitar. There's such an amazing band in that they started in a, such a completely different area and have evolved into a, a completely different league in a lot of ways. And the songwriting and his approach to things and like that song, it just right, right off the, right out of the gate is, um, you know, he's showing a lot of restraint. He's, he's pulling back for some things. He's not going as crazy as he used to in the early days. Like when they're having these big melodic choruses or verses or pre-choruses, whatever. And uh, mm-hmm. just the fact that I personally, I, I've never had any interest in singing, but like we were talking about earlier, just doing the bass thing, that experimenting thing, like that was, that was a big moment hearing that, like, oh, okay, you can be a metal drummer and, and do that live professionally, whatever, but you can also branch out and try other things and, and try other styles and, and try different approaches. And you don't have to just be locked in a room for all hours of the day with a metronome at, you know, 220 trying to get your feet to sound like a lawnmower all the time. You know, that's, that's not going to be fulfilling long-term. So to see that someone like him branched out the way he did and still continues to this day, like they just put a, a record out a couple years ago. That's, I think it's the, probably their best. Um, you know, it's just, it's very inspirational. And I definitely look up to him in a lot for just being open-minded and growing, not being the same thing all the time. Well, speaking of branching out a little bit, you you drum tech for the Strokes. Um, can you talk a little bit about that experience, how that came to be, and obviously then it you know formed into CRX later. But yeah, how that how that come to be? Uh, I had known Nick, who's the guitar player, and and Fab, I'd I'd met a few times, and they he'd had a, a guy for a long time, and they had parted ways, and it was it was pretty funny. It's it was a big lesson in. When you get an opportunity, don't second guess it and just do it. Because when they asked me, I'd never tech before. I had no idea what you even did. I mean, obviously, you know, you set up the kit, but yeah. I didn't know. I really didn't know much about tuning. I didn't know much about gear, all, all that kind of stuff. So when they asked me and said, hey, Fab needs a new guy. Do you want to do it? I just, yeah, I'll do it. You know, I, I think a lot of times people will second guess themselves and say, well, you know, they'll talk themselves out of a job or out of a gig. And they'll say, well, you know, I don't really have an experience with that. I, I didn't say any of that. I just said, I'll do it. So I showed up the first day and there was um, some other crew guys there and they were all like seasoned vets. Like they'd been out with other artists and stuff. And they had always wanted to get to this level of a tech gig. And my one friend, Paul, he told me, he says, man, I, I hated you the first day I met you because I've been working for years to get to a gig this level and you just walked in this kid and I'm like, yeah, I've never tech before. Can you guys tell me like what I'm supposed to do? Because and I was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that, that was a huge, like I said, that was a huge learning moment for me in that when something presents itself, no matter how intimidating it might be, just do it. I can do it. I can figure it out. If all these other guys have figured it out in the past, there's no reason why I can't figure it out too. Mm-hmm. So I showed up. Uh, Fab was great. It was really great to work with him. It was great to work with gear. I mean, I, I love gear. So being able to be like, Hey man, let's order whatever. Let's, let's try this piece out. Let's try that piece out. Or let's call up Ludwig and try this thing out. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. So we kind of both bonded over trying things and, and, and trying different ideas on the drums and stuff like that. But uh, I'm a very meticulous personality. I love having things where they need to be and, and setting up and being 
uh, particular. So teching was a lot of fun. I, I loved it. The only reason I didn't, I don't do it anymore is because I want to obviously play. Yeah. And I think you can, you can get lost in that world. You think, well, this is easy. You know, I get to travel. I get to, I get paid very well, especially with a gig on that level. And uh, I get to hang out at these huge shows and hang out with these guys. And, and I was a huge Strokes fan forever. So to be out and watch them from behind the amps every night, that was a dream come true in itself. Uh, so it's very tempting to just continue that. But you have to tell yourself, like, this is great, but I want to play. I want to be on stage. I want to do yep. my own thing. So you have to kind of walk away at a certain point. But it was great. I, I loved every minute of it. No, Fab is, is such a iconic drummer and i was gonna say so uh transitioning from you know braun to fab they're very different drummers was there any anything you know that that stands out that watching fab you were like oh this is this is the reason or these are one of the things i'm going to take away on why he's so successful within the music he plays yes uh fab taught me a lesson in that uh you know he's not like a super chop player right? He's not doing crazy chops. He's not going nuts on the kit. But his style is so important to the sound of that band that you couldn't replace him with anyone else and it'd still be the Strokes. And that was a huge lesson in that it doesn't, it taught me that it doesn't matter if you can't play this fast or play that style or play this style or whatever it is. As long as you sound like you and you develop and cultivate a personality and a sound on your instrument that when you play with somebody, it's you're irreplaceable in a way. It's that's you on the kit. The band sounds like that because you're on the kit. So feeling insecure about whatever, not having your paradiddles up to three billion BPM, like it, it doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters. You know, mm -hmm. it matters in a te technical aspect to be able to do that stuff. But it, in terms of making music with people, your personality behind the kit is what matters. So cultivate that first and foremost and don't get down on the stuff that you can't do always remember who you are and what you can do and what you feel comfortable doing and that was something i learned with fab because you know again he he applies what he knows to that band and that's what helps create that sound that they have so that's very iconic so that that was the kind of big takeaway i took from him yeah i love it perfect um, well, speaking yeah. of an, an, another iconic drummer that the band would not be the same without, uh, Phil Selway. So number four is OK Computer. The release here is 1997. The artist is Radiohead. The song choice is Paranoid Android. So yeah, where were you when you first heard this? Again, this was my older brother, Toph. He's He was a huge Radiohead guy, still is, obviously. Uh, another case of he brought a record home or he had a record and I, I listened to it and it was, this one was interesting because I think on Paranoid Android, I could be wrong in their entire catalog, but Paranoid Android probably has like the heaviest moment that they've ever had, right? That part right before they go into that big, long anthemic bridge, the da 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 right? And Phil is like playing the heaviest he's probably ever played on any of their stuff. So as a, kid that grew up on heavier stuff it was like oh okay this this band froze down a little bit they, you know they, they get into it yeah but it's it's kind of a trojan horse in a way because it tricks you into listening to the song as a whole and it's the song as a whole is just beautiful and it has a lot of really cool percussion parts to it the beats are really cool it's got some odd time in there the bridge is just this massive wide open spacey uh melodic 
kind of odyssey. And then it, you know, it kicks right back into the heavy part at the end and then it, it ends the song. Uh, but the record as a whole, it's just, again, it's about experimenting and having your own voice. And for this record in particular, it was one of the first times where I started to really appreciate uh, your approach to a song. So it's not always about how fast you can play. It's about serving the song and serving the section and not everything always being about the drums, right? Because there's a ton of stuff on this record where he's just keeping time and it's a really cool beat, but the focus is, you know, whatever Tom's doing, maybe whatever Johnny's doing. It's, there's a lot of stuff in there that's songs were becoming, starting to become to me uh, pieces as a whole and not just listening to the drums all the time. So that that's, you know, that was the big takeaway that I had with Radiohead is that it, they're kind of like an orchestra in a way. It's odd. You know, everyone has their parts and everything is oddly iconic on its own, but together it's just this massive piece of music for every song. It's, it's, it's just beautiful stuff. So yeah, Paranoid Android and OK Computer as a whole was, was, was a big turning point for me. I love it. Yeah, I will always be Phil's champion. Yeah. He is amazing. And let's just listen to a bit of the intro for Paranoid Android, and then and then I'll fast forward to the uh, that heavy part, which I I think I share your sentiment. I don't I can't think of another song um, that really gets as rocky as that in right. their career. So yeah, here we go. he's it's all very simple right and it's just he's just serving the song he's not doing a fill he's not doing anything crazy you don't have to it's just space time and pocket I'm gonna fast forward a little bit yep a little bit of odd time right here love that line yeah odd time but it doesn't feel it's not taking you out of it of odd time in there that doesn't take you out of it you know there's a lot of times where guys will be playing in five or in seven or in nine or whatever and it feels odd but with him it feels uh smooth it, it each bar goes to the other one it's fine it's it's not taking you out of the moment too much once again i could go all day with this record too but and that song and then like subterranean such great pocket and feel and karma police 
huge pocket and feel, you know, oh, it's yeah. just behind the beat. Everything is just space and respecting the time and, and the song and the vocals and everything. It's just, again, he's great. Yeah. T- uh, 15 step which is one of the first tracks i think it's the first track on in rainbows is also i think it's in five or ten however you want to count it and it, it still grooves you don't you don't think it's in odd time so i'm just echoing what you said feels great yeah absolutely all right number five the album is from a room volume one a great great name release here is 2017 the artist is chris stapleton mm-hmm. the song choice is i was wrong and the drummer is Derek mixon uh, this one was a tough one, too, because uh, Traveler, which is like Stapleton's first huge record, which has like Tennessee whiskey and stuff on it. That was another amazing record for drumming. But this one, uh, a little more for me. I, I just like this record a little bit more. But the big lesson that I got from this player, from this record, is just, again, space and feel. And I think a lot of the times, just taking it back to metal drummers in general, one of the biggest things that we have trouble with, and uh, I will admit this because it's my big Achilles heel, is space and feel. You know, being able to play pocket, being able to play slow, right? Because everything's about playing so fast, right? We're playing Angel of Angel of Death with Lombardo. It's like, how fast can you play? Okay, well, slow it down, you know, 300%. Try playing it super slow. Try playing a groove. Try playing some pocket. And that's just, man... It's just apples and oranges in your approach, right? Mm-hmm. So with this one, uh, and this song in general, I was wrong. It's just, he's got great, great feel. Like, I'm, I'm so jealous of how smooth. It's like, it's, when I listen to him play, just transitioning from section to section, I always think of molasses, which is an odd thing to think about. But it's like, man, it's just so smooth. And he's just rolling along, just very smooth and very nice and delicate. And everything's great and feels great. And I think that Chris Stapleton, I mean, I could go all day about Chris Stapleton. I think he's an amazing singer and amazing songwriter and guitarist and everything. But I, I think his secret weapon is definitely Derek, just as a drummer. And just, you know, not, not to toot our own horns as drummers, but, you know, you're not going to sound great if your drummer's not holding it down. I mean, hey, toot toot, dude. Let's yeah, do it. Let's toot all day. So again, I was wrong. I think this song is a really great example of his space and feel and time. Okay, here we go. This is the wrong song. I was wrong. (laughs) Here's I was wrong. good cross stick is a talent in itself too yes you know Phil going into the chorus. It's super simple, but it just feels great. 
Yeah, that uh, that cross sticks up there with Vinny. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, it just sounds like a sample. Back to the snare. So that must have been recorded, at least the, the instrumentation in a room together, live? Yeah. When I shot some stuff for Minel in Nashville last year, last fall, the studio that we were, we, we were in was the same studio that they recorded Traveler in, which is the other record. And the engineer engineered that record. And when he told me that, I, I just had you know a million questions for him. But I said, uh, well, t- so what are these guys? Is it? Are they tracking separately? Are they tracking together? He goes, oh, it's all together. They're all in the room together. You know, Stapleton obviously does vocals post because he's just, that's how it works. But I believe, I could be wrong. But uh, instruments, guitar, bass, drums, it's just those guys in the room. And they just, he goes, they would do one, maybe two takes of each song and move on to the next one. Like they would record the entire record in a day. And then, because they're just, they're pros. They're amazing. These guys can jam for hours and they're just absolutely incredible. And he goes, they just felt amazing. Everything was just so smooth and and, uh, the pocket was just on fire every single time. Like these guys were just absolute players. I would imagine that would be the same way that they recorded this record as well. But just space, feel, and pocket and not having an ego where you have to, to be the center of attention for the, pretty much for the entire song. Like there's no moment where the drums are the focal point. It's pretty much vocals and guitar viewpoints. At a few parts, but um, being a selfless and not having an ego was a, a big lesson for me in, in this record. And just Chris Stapleton in general, like this guy, you know that he is a fan, fantastic, phenomenal player, but he doesn't have to prove it all the time, which is something that I really, I like that. I don't like having to feel like there's an insecurity to having to constantly show off and having to constantly be the center of attention that I don't. I don't gravitate towards. And this guy is the complete opposite of that. And I respect that a lot. When I think of my weaknesses, like you were asking me earlier, like what's the, what's the next goal, right? Yeah. After being a Ludwig artist, like what, what, what am I thinking about now? Yeah. Uh, it's being able to play like that, to be honest. Being able to play like that and being able to pull it off and being in any kind of recording situation and just say, we want a Derek Mixon feel and knowing that you can do it. And then the next day saying, we want a Dave Lombardo feel and knowing that you can do that. Being that well-rounded is, to me, I mean, that's going to be a life, a lifetime pursuit, obviously. That's going to take forever to accomplish that and to feel like you've accomplished it. But yeah, I think, uh, again, growing up as a metal kid, always having that insecurity about being able to have good feel and good time and good pocket and not having to just blast all the time. I, that's been kind of like my lifelong pursuit from a teenager on is, is being well-rounded and not just having the same approach for 20, 30, 40 years, you know. Well, speaking of approach, when, and going back to the Seth Meyers thing, can you talk a little bit about, was, was there a lot of improv on that show? Like what, that you'd worked on and your goals to become the drummer, like you just said, did that prepare you for being in the moment on that, on that set? Because that's obviously a lot different than a lot of the songs you showed today as well. I didn't, I wasn't nervous. And I, I, because uh, I went to Musicians Institute when I was 19 and 20. And I had a teacher there. His name was Rob Carson. And playing in front of him for every single end of uh, quarter final was easily to this day the most stressful, nerve-wracking, scary experience I've ever had in my life. <laughs> yeah. So 
having gotten through that, I mean, he would tell you before he'd go up, you go, every mistake is letter grade. So if you make wow. three, four mistakes, you don't pass technique and then you don't go on to the next level. Right. Oh. And I, I had this, I had this thing in my head where I had to get straight A's every quarter. And, uh, I, I did ended up having that, but that was so incredibly stressful that anything after that is just kind of, yeah. Okay. So with the Seth Meyers gig, uh, you know, very, very grateful and lucky to have been asked to do that. Uh, I wasn't nervous and because we got there and everyone was super cool, super nice. They explained the situation that you show up in the morning, you get to jam with the band in the practice room for 45 minutes, maybe an hour, however long it takes to write each little bumper piece for each little section. And it's just an A and B section. It's super simple. You know, they record it, you do a little quick little demo. So then when you go on stage and you play for the show taping, they play it in your ears and remind you before each time you have to play it. You didn't have to memorize a lot, which is great. And tempo-wise, you didn't have to memorize tempos because you just heard it, so you, you have that in your head now. Uh, the challenging part, I think it is for every drummer, is this Eric, the guy that runs it, is what he told me too. I think the challenging part for every drummer is stopping in weird places. So when a guest comes out and they go sit down in the chair, you might feel like you're in the middle of a two-bar section, but they're about to sit down and you need to end it. You need to get out because it's time for them to talk. And you don't want to play too long after they sit down because then it looks awkward. And you don't want to end too early while they're still standing up because that's too awkward. So, oh, Jesus, ending, yeah. You know what I mean? So like that was, every time they'd come out, I would get stressed out about that is ending in the right spot. It was just, that was the challenge in and of itself. And before I flew out there, I he had explained it to me okay already. So here at home, I'd set up just kind of a quick, session where I, I was practicing cues where they would end in weird spots. So I had a little bit of practice before I got there to do that, but it was just, it's unlike anything I've ever done ever. And I think it will ever do. It's just, it's a totally different world. And those guys, they're all phenomenal players. Like that whole band, they're all just monster players. And they, to be able to do that stuff every single day, it's just very, very impressive. And I'm super grateful that I got to do that. Yeah. It's definitely a lifestyle for sure. Well, that's your top five, man. I mean, if people want to check you out live, um, are you going out with Poppy to just get back with Poppy? Like, what's what's uh, what's the next year looking like if people want to check out more of your drumming live, which I'm so happy I can say that, that we can all do it again. Right, yeah. Um, let's see. I'm looking at my calendar. Uh, like, two weeks from now, we start the Smashing Pumpkins Jane's Addiction Tour. We Hell start in yeah. Dallas. Start in Dallas, I believe. So it's Poppy, it's us opening the night and then it's Jane's and then pumpkins. Uh, that is, I mean, I try not to think I have a friend of mine asked me the other day if I was excited and I was like, well, you know what? I'm, I'm really not thinking about it. Try not to think about it because I've been such huge fan. I've been such a huge fan of Perkins and Chamberlain for so, so long that to be like a third of the drummers on a bill and those two guys are the other, you know, two thirds. It's wild, wild to me, especially like I used to read, all these modern drummer articles where Chamberlain, like there's quotes of Chamberlain that I, I've used before. Like, you know, Jimmy used to say this and you know, that, that kind of thing. So to be out on the road and to be able to watch these guys every night and to study them and to, I mean, I'm going to be behind both their kits every night with a notepad being like, okay, that makes sense. I need to start doing that more often. That kind of thing. Exactly. So to, yeah, to watch these two guys is going to be huge. And we do, that's going to be two months. I believe we start this October 2nd in Dallas, and then we end at the Bowl, 
Hollywood Bowl, like right before Thanksgiving. And then we take five days off-ish. I think we leave Thanksgiving. The day after Thanksgiving, we go to the UK and we do a month in the UK. Or no, I'm sorry. We do Damn. a week in the UK and then, and then we do a month-ish in Europe. So I'm very excited about that. We haven't been with, I haven't been over with Poppy over in Europe before. So that's going to be very, very fun. And, uh, you know, December in Europe, I mean, it's beautiful. So, and I'm obviously I'm seeing you have a beautiful wooden room behind you that looks like your drums are set up. Is that your setup for remote recordings? Do you do lessons? I know you're gonna be gone the next five years. It sounds like it, but, um, if people want to approach you and, and maybe get some, some tracks or any kind of interaction with you outside of that, is the room behind you facilitating that? Yeah, I've actually, I've done a couple of poppy songs here. We have the first one that I did is a cover that we did for um, Fear of Dying. The song is called Fear of Dying. I recorded that here. That was actually a funny story. We had recorded in LA and then I got back home the next day and I was in bed after a well-earned week of just craziness. Like these, because we had done another EP and it was just a lot of really, really fast, crazy songs. So I was in bed comfortably resting. And I got a text from our manager and he goes, hey, can you redo Fear of Dying? And I was like, oh, did I screw something up? And he goes, no, nah, no, nah, it's not crazy enough. We need it crazier. Can you put some blast beats in there? And I was like, oh, man. Okay. <laughs> yes, then I got up and came here and tracked that. So, that, yeah, I, I do track here. I did some stuff off the new record that was recorded here. And uh, I do lessons out of here, too. So, it's yeah, it's kind of a all-around spot. Right on. Well, I'll link all your, all your contact information in the show notes. But um, I'll talk to you soon, dude. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, I really appreciate it, and I really enjoy, you know, I, I've had my big fat ring here for a while, so this like, the one I have right here is the Seth Meyers one I got. But Oh, hell yeah. It's great. I, I love the, the guy, I, I love the product that you guys make, so it's, it's, very, it's very nice to be here, and it's an honor, so thank you so much. And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.